I'm Arie Schwartz, along with my co-host today, Brady Klopfer, and welcome to the WNBA Insider Show. Each week, we cover different topics important to the W. Using X's and O's, along with key stats, we bring honest and critical analysis. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, to start off this episode, unfortunately, Rachel's not able to be with us for this recording, but she did send an audio kind of talking about uh, the topic for this episode. Hey guys, sorry I can't join you today. I am busy at the SEC tournament right now. I um, hope you guys can manage listening to the podcast with primarily REA's voice. I apologize for that. Um, but honestly, my contender for this season, I, I got to go with Seattle. Um, how do you not, after what they did last year, what they're bringing back, um, the way everything's shaping up to be? Um, Brianna Stewart's just on an absolute tear, and I completely anticipate that to continue. So looking forward to getting back to the podcast soon. Take care. Thanks, Rachel. A lot of people have considered, Brady, that Seattle is is going to continue this WNBA trend, if you will, of teams getting to the championship, winning the championship, and kind of, you know, holding king of the court, if you will, uh, for a few seasons. Right off the bat, Brady, I, w- I want to know, do you do you see Seattle in that situation, or do you think that there's some legitimate teams that can make them work for their money? I think there are a lot of teams that can make them work. Um, Seattle is obviously the front runner here, but there hasn't been a WNBA team that repeated as champions since the Sparks did it in 2002. We've had a lot of teams, like you said, that have stayed right there at the top. Obviously, the Lynx are the kind of the staple of, of that, but repeating is really hard because there is a lot of parity in this league. So Seattle favorite to me, but I would take the field over Seattle if if I were betting on it. I think it's more likely that someone else wins, even though Seattle is definitely the team that is most likely to win. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what our topic for this episode is going to be. Who is the top contender to possibly dethrone Seattle? Um, you know, just looking at it, you know, a lot of people, oh, they swept in, they swept in the finals, they destroyed DC, and obviously DC fans will quickly jump up and say, oh, well, Deladon wasn't 100%. And I do think, and, I, and I'll even put this down to literally one aspect of Deladon's game that I think really affected it is her shooting motion from three starts with her legs. Yes. And with that knee injury, you could just see she didn't have the oomph to get the ball in the hoop. Everything was coming short. Her shot looked off. Just everything looked bad. So, you know, if Deladon has a good knee, I don't I don't see Washington winning that series, but I do think we, we're very different about this idea that the Seattle is all dominating, you know? Absolutely. It would have been a much closer series because there's such a domino effect when you lose your best player or when your best player is compromised, I should say, because it's not only that you're not getting a hundred percent of Deladon, but then Seattle's defense doesn't have to guard her as tightly. They can spend more energy, more commitment on the mystic secondary and tertiary options. There's just such a domino effect. As soon as that best player on your team is at all compromised, Seattle was clearly the best team last year from opening tip until the finals. I think they would have won that series regardless, but it would have been competitive. It would it would have been much more entertaining, I think, and get maybe gotten a few more uh, hundred or thousand viewers 
to watch the series. Um, but but let's let's jump back to top contenders. I'll let you go first, Brady. Who in your mind, which team in 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 the W for 2019 is the team most likely? If you were a betting man, that you'd put your money on to dethrone uh, the champs. So there are a lot of really really good options. I think you can make a case for you know, five teams probably. But if I had to put money on a team, it would be Phoenix. I think first off, I might have a little bit of bias here just because that playoff series was so fun and I just want to see it happen again. Yes. Like I would, I would pay a lot of money to have a five game series between the Mercury and the storm this year. But when you break it down to me, the biggest thing the biggest X factor in knocking off the best team in the league is being able to approach them from all angles, being able to not have a weakness that can be exposed at the highest level, which happens in the- every year. You see teams, they have a weakness that might be perceived as a small weakness during the regular season. But once you're in a five game series, once the opposing coach is game planning for you every, every day in every game, at a level that they're not able to do in the regular season, you see those small weaknesses get exposed as glaring weaknesses that are fatal flaws. And to me, Phoenix, they don't have that weakness that Seattle can absolutely take advantage of. They're strong offensively, both on the perimeter and in the interior. They're strong defensively on the perimeter and in the interior. They have one of the top coaches in the league. They have depth. They have switchability. They have length. They have all the, all the factors you need to be an elite team in addition to having one of the greatest clutch and playoff performers in the history of the sport, Tarazi. But then one other thing that I think is not talked about enough with Phoenix is the physicality of Brittany Griner. I think yes. I think people don't realize how big Brittany Griner is because she has that kind of lanky looking frame when you see her on TV. You know, she's kind of a little bit skinnier looking than you might expect some centers to be. But when you see her in person, she is, you know, to use the parlance of our meme time, she is an absolute unit. She is so strong and so tall and that plays a really big factor when you're playing against Seattle not that Seattle can't handle that physicality but Seattle's best player their engine arguably the best player in the league Brianna Stewart has to defend Brittany Griner and even though Stewart is a better player than Griner that's a lot of physicality to have to defend in a five-game series. And when you're having to defend someone that big and that physical, it compromises you a little bit. It makes you a little bit less efficient, a little bit less energetic on the offensive end of the court. And you can start to see some, some diminishing returns there a little bit. Now, we didn't really see that in the playoffs last year, though that I think was partially due to the fact that Brianna Stewart just had a historically great year and she was on an unstoppable tear um but i think if they end up in a close series 
forcing her to work that hard on the defensive end of the court could ultimately give Phoenix an advantage. Well, also, I, I would add a couple things to it. And, and let me be 100% clear. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I am not the largest Brittany Griner fan. Me I think she, ha- she has all the skill sets. She never really lives up to where she could be. But I think one of the, the best things about Phoenix matching up with Seattle is the ability of Seattle a lot of times will switch Stewie and Natasha Howard so that you can rest Stewie a little bit and she can be a little bit more dominating on offense, even though she is a lockdown defender. But when you have Phoenix with their ability to use Bonner also Mm -hmm. and have that length and size and they can move her to the three, they can move her to the four and then have another physical, like the, just the length of Phoenix really puts a clog in Seattle's wheel because their ability to say, Oh, you want to switch it up? Cool. We're going to continue. Like, Phoenix is the type of team that no matter who they're playing, they can say, we're going to do our style of game and you're going to have to adapt to us, which many teams can do that for a lot of the teams in the league. But when you go up against Seattle, often you have to play reactionary versus attacking. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Phoenix can can really force the game in their direction. And they have an answer for a lot of things because of that length you were talking about. When you have Bonner in January and now they've gone out and added Essence Carson to that, that's the type of length and athleticism that gives you so much flexibility defensively because you can switch so much. And that really allows you to play the game the way you want to play instead of the way your opponent wants to play. Oh, and their biggest weakness, let's be honest, is Diana Taurasi on defense. And with the roster that they have constructed, with the length, with the size, and with the speed, they can legitimately kind of, you know, hide her back and put her on, oh, we're going to put her on, uh, you wouldn't put her on Jewel Lloyd, uh, Clark. Throw her on Clark for a little bit because you're not so worried about that. And then really focus in and, and, uh, again, there's it's not a coincidence that Phoenix went to five against Seattle in one of the most epic semifinals I've ever seen. Absolutely. It's it's a matchup that works for them. Uh, they have the coaching to make it work. They have the leadership to make it work. And going back to Tarazi and being able to hide her, let's just make one thing clear. You want your worst defensive player to be your point guard. That's a... You know, mm-hmm. one of your five players has to be your worst defensive player. It should be your point guard. That's, you know, a champagne problem. Oh, I mean, I feel like all of Phoenix is just champagne yeah, problems, right? You have, you, you, you have a team that made some noise in the playoffs when I honestly, I'll put that out there. I'd say currently right now, the best player on their roster, and I'll take all the flack, is Bonner. I think she, Agreed. this past season... People were shocked by Tarasi's ability to continue at this high level. Tarasi, in my mind, yeah, she's going to put up her points. She's more that person when you're in a clutch moment, that's who you turn to. That's what her role is. She's a role player now into this point in her career. Obviously, she can do much more than that. I'm not saying she has to do this. but And then you look at Griner. Griner has her ups and downs. She'll fall out in this game. She'll get a little frustrated and just get dominated by Sylvia in this game. But Bonner was just a consistent force to be reckoned with. She came back from giving birth to twins and had arguably the best season of her career. And she's just, she's the epitome of a modern basketball player. You know, she is, she's 6'4". 
She has a tremendously long wingspan, but she has the agility of a shooting guard. She's just that type of player that is built to punish mismatches because who are you going to put on her? If you put a small player on her, she can shoot right over at you. She can back you down to the post. You put a player on, they don't have the foot speed to contain her. So she's just that, that perfect modern player that can beat you inside and out is going to have an advantage over pretty much any player who is trying to defend her and then can defend what four positions oh, yeah. defensively maybe five uh, I, I would say that i mean yeah maybe five I, I i think i wouldn't want her defending all five but you know she she can guard a one five pick and roll and if she gets switched you're not screwed oh yeah you're not up in arms throwing your uh throwing your uh your sketch sheet on the sidelines <laughs> exactly so i agree i think she's their best she's their best player and and they have a great dynamic that way because tarasi like you said she's a little bit more of a role player now in terms of talent but she's still kind of that focal point just in terms of leadership dictating the game griner i agree that she hasn't lived up to how good she can be but she's still you know, an ace defensively who can do a lot of good stuff offensively, but she doesn't need to be, you know, the star. And then Bonner, who we both think is the best player, is is happy kind of playing that superstar role player role where she's not the face of the franchise. She's not always going to be the one people associate with the team or making the most highlights, but she does everything for that team and really makes them click. And that's that's a great dynamic, and it's a credit to the selflessness of all three of them. It's a credit to the coaching. Uh, it's a credit to everything, really. There's, it's just a, a seamless fit with with their best players. Yeah, I, I do want to give one shout-out to Sandy Brondello because I feel like she's a coach that does not get enough respect. It, just in consideration of, like, yeah, they really struggled two years ago when Bonner was out, but they still, you know, kind of played that that old style of, screw it, let's get to the playoffs, and then buckle down and we can handle the playoffs. And they did. Um, yeah. And and that kind of brings me to who I believe, um, just for the sake of not agreeing too much, I'm going to pick a different team, and this was my backup team anyways, Connecticut Sun. Um, I think Connecticut can really be a team that can really push some things. Now, there, there's a few asterisks that I need to throw out there. One, which John Quell Jones are we going to see? Two, can Kurt Miller figure out the proper rotation and figure out a way to sit some of these players or say, hey, Shanae, you're going to be the leader of our bench mob. Or, hey, John Quell, you're going to be the leader of our bench mob and figure it out from there. I think the inconsistency, and I know speaking to him before last season, he preached this and he continued to say this throughout the season. I'm less focused on who starts the game, more focused on who ends the game. And I think there's some truth to that, but I also think we saw what happened last year, a team that at its height was really, really good. Uh, then there was some off-court issues that put a little a little bit of spiciness in the roster um, that tripped up this team of their mission of winning a championship. But then come playoff time, one of my favorite things nowadays is just waiting for Connecticut and Seattle to face off in the playoffs. Is that for, for before I ask you anything else, is that the best rivalry currently in the league right now? 
Yes. Yes. I think with, at least for this season, it has to be considered that way. You know, I think you could have made a case still for LA and Minnesota being a great rivalry before Maya Moore took the year off. But with both of those teams regressing as much as they did, Maya Moore taking the year off. Yeah, that's that's the rivalry in the W right now. And I want to see them play too. I want to see them play almost as badly as I want to see Seattle and Phoenix play. Oh, yeah. I mean, my my ideal, honestly, would be, I personally, I would love a Connecticut-Phoenix best of five semifinals uh, to see who goes on to, to take on Seattle. Because first of all, that that game between them was, I mean, just that, don't, you can post on Instagram, you can clap in my face, won't win you games, was probably the greatest moment in many years of WNBA basketball, just because that really showed, like, one of my pet peeves is too often, everybody's all hunky-dory, we're friends, whatever. These are highly trained competitive athletes who want to win, and that broke out in that game where Tarasi was just like, I am, I am going to will us to victory. Um, and even, even when they took on uh, Seattle in that game, I mean, Tarasi, that, that battle between Tarasi and Bird towards the end when they were just, you know, shooting lights out back and forth was amazing. Um, I, I would love to see a Connecticut team because I think Connecticut has a lot of the same abilities as Phoenix as far as, you know, they're not, it's not just one player. They have this ability to really spread the love throughout Jean-Quel, Shanae, the Thomas twins, as I like to call them, um, Shakina Strickland. Th- this is a team that is really built for the playoffs. They have the depth. For me, it's more so finding the comfortableness between the players, finding out which, you know, these players work really well together and finding out how they're going to figure that out for the whole season. Because it's not just, you can't just wait for the playoffs. Connecticut needs to get a top, uh, a higher seed um, and stop playing these one-and-done playoff games if they want to really make a championship run. Absolutely. That's going to be key for them to hit the ground running this season, those top seeds. And I agree with you. This is this is a team that matches up with Seattle for many of the same reasons that we were talking about with Phoenix. They can get it done in so many different ways. They have so much depth. They have people who can beat you inside and out, offensively and defensively. This is a really, really good team, and I think people are kind of sleeping on that a little bit. And I agree with you, a huge part of the season for them is going to come down to what Kurt Miller can do from a player management standpoint. Because there are two sides to coaching. There's the player management, and there's the X's and O's. And Kurt Miller has established that when it comes to X's and O's, he is an elite coach. And... Last year, their problems came from the other side. They came from from the management. And it's impossible to know, especially without being around the team every day, who is responsible for all of those issues. Um, So I don't want to squarely put the blame on Coach Miller or necessarily even put any of the blame, but it's something they need to figure out for this year. And it goes beyond just, you know, the headline stuff with the altercations and the trades, because even after that, there just wasn't the chemistry that you need from a top level team. If you want to have championship level success, and that needs to change for this year, whether it comes from their leaders, like a 
and John Quell just stepping up, whether it comes from their coaching or whether it comes from just having a, a fresh start to the season. Somewhere along the line, they need to learn how to click better because they have the talent. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think and I'm just going to point this out because I, I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and immediately jump up and say, Seattle swept Connecticut and the closest game between any of them was like, what was it, 14 points or like eight points or over 10 points. So they weren't even close. Yes, I, I get that. Um, they swept them. That's fine. But again, what we're talking about is last year, I think Connecticut regressed. Um over the past three years, I've been very tall standing saying Connecticut is, in my opinion, the sleeper team that is going to win, that's going to be contending for a championship. Last year, I expected them. I predicted before the season, I said, there's a huge question mark with this whole JJ and Shanae thing. But assuming that if it gets figured out, I expect to see them in the finals. Obviously, it didn't get figured out. So I think I was right to some extent. Um, but I, I do expect a little bit more consistency. And hopefully, I mean, a lot of people talk about John Quell did not look herself. I know she got in late last year, like a day before the first even preseason or was it a regular season game? So she was extremely late, um, which maybe that had some effects to it. I saw some reports, some reporters saying she wasn't in game shape uh, due to some other stuff. I don't know. At the end of the day, in my opinion, John Quell is, is going to have an ability to lead this team better towards a championship against Seattle or Phoenix than Shanae would. And hate me for saying that. No, I agree with you. I, I completely agree with you on that. I think she is, is yeah. she's that player for that team. Well, cause she has that length, that size, that ability to score from various. I mean, the John Quell we saw two years ago, we only saw, you know, glimpses of this past season. And I think that was a huge issue for why Connecticut kind of stumbled. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and just to add on to that, in this league, you can't win unless you're operating at nearly. And so I think that can be used as a good measuring stick for who your most important players are. To me, Connecticut can compete they can contend for a title, even if Shanae Agumake isn't living up to her full potential. If she's just 80% of the player that she's capable of being solid, two-way all-star, they can still contend. If Jonquil Jones does not live up to the player she's capable of being, this team can't win a championship. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're speaking truth right now, my man. <laughs> I got, I got nothing against that. I do want, let's talk real quick. Honorable mention. You said there's a lot of teams, um, when you were talking about Phoenix, you said there's a lot of teams that stood out to you that could definitely still, in your mind, compete if not dethrone the Kings. Talk to me. Give me, give me one honorable mention if you don't mind. I'm going to give you two. Um, Ooh, but, but I honestly think there are three other teams that all need to be talked about a little bit. So I'm just going to run through them super quickly. I think cool. the Mystics need to be discussed. I mean, they made they made the finals a year ago. They still have, in my opinion, the best player in the league. They just the Josh they, <laughs> exactly. Um, I just don't think that you can make it that close 
to winning a title, even if the WNBA Finals wasn't as close as wasn't very close the actual series, but they made it that close with Deladon being compromised. They have to be mentioned. I think there needs to be a little bit of mention for Atlanta, even though I'm not high on them. I don't really believe on that in them, but for them to do as well as they did last year, despite the injuries, um, they at least need to be, Mentioned they were far and away the best defensive team in the league a year ago. And that plays well in the playoffs, even though I don't think they have the playmakers necessary to make noise offensively. Um, and then I'm going to show my my uh, bias, if you want to call it that. I think Los Angeles still needs to be mentioned. They were a lot of people's favorites going into last year, including mine. They obviously had an incredibly disappointing season. And it just comes to how well they can bounce back from that because they are still, from a personnel standpoint, pretty much the same team that was predicted by so many to win a year ago. They obviously made a huge coaching change, and so much depends on how they respond. I'm not incredibly optimistic there, but you don't know until you see it. They have to be considered a pretty either the favorite or close to the favorite in the Liz Cambage sweepstakes. You have to consider that. Um, but ultimately as, as real quick about yeah. that, I, we've talked on Twitter about this briefly. We've talked off Twitter about this briefly. I want your take. Realistically, we're in the finals, you know, put on your hypothetical hat, Seattle storm taking on Liz Cambage, Candace Parker. Let, let's say Liz, like just legitimately drops in. And they don't lose anybody. They keep the current roster and Liz drops in. How in God's green earth does that lineup work in your mind to take on Seattle specifically? It's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard. But I'm a believer in talent. And you get the talent and you make, try to make it work. I think the biggest obstacle for them is figuring out how... Candace Parker and or Neko Grumake can play more of a small forward role because obviously you have three players who are arguably centers in a roster there. Something's got to give. Now, Parker is an elite athlete who has spent a lot of her career playing on the perimeter. I think Agrumake has a lot better foot speed than people give her credit for. Um, I think there's a chance that those players can defend on the perimeter pretty decently. Um, obviously, Candace likes to play on the perimeter offensively, and Agrumake has a decent jump shot that she's just oddly reluctant to take from distance. Um, it makes no, it makes no sense. So she would need to make a clear adjustment offensively because you can't just pack the lane with Cambage and Agrumake. What you would need to do, in my opinion, is put Agrumake at the line, put Cambage in the paint, and you either run inside out or you run a high pick and roll with Parker handling the ball, Gray and Agrumake spacing the floor, and Parker and Cambage running the pick and roll, and you have the spacing that way. So it's going to take a, a ton of adjustments, especially from Neka Agrumake. Uh, but she's an incredibly smart player, an incredibly willing player, and she is a tremendously underrated athlete. I think people see how... Um, I 
think people see her size because she's very broad-shouldered. She's very strong. She's very um, capable defending the interior. And they mistake that for being a lack of athleticism. But she has a really good foot speed. Um, she also just has much younger legs yeah. than Candace Parker. And honestly, the eight, and uh, not to knock her, I think Candace can play almost any position. But does she have the ability to play almost any position for a whole game and for a whole season? Yeah, that, that's where probably not. Um, so I think it, it would have to be a case of changing a little bit once you get to the playoffs. Um, because I think they would need to hide Candace a little bit just during the regular season just to conserve her energy, conserve her body. Um, though it is worth noting that unlike most players in the W, Candace Parker does not play during the offseason. Uh, so she she does gain a little bit of health and a little bit of energy from that. She plays only in the only in the WNBA, but ultimately it's going to be an incredibly hard task to make that work. But you have three MVP caliber players plus arguably, arguably four. four, yeah, arguably four. So I think talent still wins out, and the one benefit they have of of hiring Derek Fisher who you know I'm obviously very skeptical that he will be as good of a coach as Brian Agler but he is a modern modern basketball mind he is a player who played very recently who coached very recently who has done is doing analysis right now he is very used to the modern game and when I've talked with him about this team He's very comfortable with the defense the way the way it's been, but he wants to modernize some of those offensive elements. He wants to get in transition more. He wants to space the floor a little bit better. He wants to have more versatility, which is something that they didn't have last year. They were not a versatile team offensively. Uh, yeah, so well, even though well, wait, did you did you ever bring up to him uh as as we've talked about many a times, the deep twos that LA loves today. <laughs> I haven't I haven't mentioned them specifically to him, but I have asked him about making that offense more modern, evolving it, and he has certainly alluded to the fact that they need to incorporate some of those modern elements like three point shooting a little <laughs> bit more, because that was that plagued them so immensely, so immensely last year. And I talked with Coach Agler about it many times. He was frustrated by it. He knew it was a problem. And it was just for whatever reason, it was something they could not move past. So Yeah, it, it was it was banging your head against the wall. Well, well, Brady, I appreciate you uh taking the time to join us for the episode. Um, I know you're working uh, with some great stuff with the athletic, but I, I hope we'll have you on the on uh, more episodes and more podcasts throughout the season and the off season and talking deep dives about what's going on throughout the league. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Awesome, man. Well, folks, that's all we got for today. I'm Maria Schwartz. That awesome voice next to me was Brady Klopfer. This has been the WNBA Insider Show. Each week we cover different topics important to the W.